Welcome to the Life's Hard Succeed Anyway podcast, where you will hear transformational stories, positive encouragement, and practical strategies to help you grow your mindset, reach your potential, live your dreams, and experience a purpose-driven, impact-filled life. Here's your host, Alan Blaine. This is Alan Blaine, and I'm very excited to bring our special guest today, my friend, Sergeant First Class Joseph James, served in the United States Army for over nine years and deployed four times during the War on Terror to Afghanistan and Iraq. He is a Bronze Star and Purple Heart recipient. In 2008, Sergeant First Class James lost both of his legs in a roadside bombing attack north of Baghdad, Iraq. Since his medical retirement, he has been a serial entrepreneur by starting companies that lift up and help the veteran community and their families. Love that. He also speaks on behalf of their issues and needs. Currently, Joe is an adaptive athlete, speaker, and venture capitalist that helps veterans start their own franchise companies. Joe, welcome to the Life's Hard Succeed Anyway podcast. I appreciate being here, brother. Thanks for this opportunity to be able to talk to you and your audience. Absolutely. Well, I've shared a little bit about you here in the bio that I just read, but could you just spend a little bit of time just kind of elaborating on that so that our listeners can kind of hear a little bit more of your backstory? So mainly, you know, once I got injured, and I'll talk about that a little bit later on, but I really wanted to find my purpose and vision again. And I knew I wanted to continue serving my military brothers and sisters, but I just wasn't able to do that in uniform. And so I really started putting myself out there and fighting certain demons that, you know, that come from that many combat deployments. One things I knew is I, I just wanted to serve. I want to give back. I want to lift them up. And, but how do I do that? Honestly, I just started saying, what, what skills do I have? What connections do I have? And how can I utilize them to, you know, do that? What happened is, is that I just started networking and getting with other nonprofits and organizations and seeing what they're doing, seeing how they're helping and finding the need that they weren't necessarily hitting that I could. That's where really that serial entrepreneur happened. I started a company called Wearable Gratitude with my partner, Amy Cotta at the time. We basically, for Wearable Gratitude, we get donated military uniforms from the men and women served, but we also got their story. And each Wearable Gratitude, each product was authentic to that uniform and that service member. So that was, one, that was the first way I got to do it. The second way I was able to join a nonprofit called Memories of Honor. And Memories of Honor designed to honor our Gold Star families and to show them love and appreciation for their fallen service member, family member. And so I became the director of veteran outreach for them. And currently, last probably six months, I started going down a spiral and I started really not being able to handle the stress of that many you know, different things at that time. So I actually had to talk to my partner and the director of Memories of Honor and let them know I had to step down. And so, yeah, in the last few months ago, I had to step down because I knew that I needed to take care of myself and take time to do that. And I know I couldn't do all these endeavors while trying to handle that. And so while I was on that low, you know, kind of going through that spiral, I started talking to a friend of mine and he's a franchise broker. And I started telling him, I said, you know, I, I got this money from when I was injured and I wanted to do something with it. The government gives you a little bit of money to kind of pay for your legs, I guess, you know, because I lost both of my legs in the blast. And so I got a little bit of money from the government and I was like, well, I don't want to spend it on a bass boat. I don't want to buy a fancy car or anything like that. I want to do something with it. 
And so my friend, who's a Navy officer and also a franchise broker, we're like, what if we use our connections and our funds to be able to help veterans start their own franchise where we connect with the Department of Defense and be able to say, hey, you know, we got these great service members. They are actually the statistically service members and uh, veterans are one of the best business owners because they have the, the tenacity to drive to finish the mission. They're not used to saying no. And if they are, they work around it. And they're just really great business. They have a really great sense of, of not giving up while a lot of other people would. And so we knew that the franchise model and the veteran model and the idea was there. And so from there, that's how we got the Veteran Franchise Initiative, where we partnered with the Department of Defense down in Fort Hood, Texas, and we set up a nonprofit called Operation Phantom Support. And with that nonprofit, bringing in the funds and then the veteran funding, the group, we're able to work with veterans to get them their own franchise. So it's been, I think, 15 years or 14 years, it sounds like, since the roadside bombing incident that you lost both of your legs. And I would imagine, I want to jump back to that here in just a second. I'm sure there was some period of time that you probably didn't just jump right into entrepreneurship, you know, on day one out of the hospital, I'm sure. But in the last 14 years or whatever that's been, you've definitely been busy. You've done a lot of exciting things. And and yet you had the wisdom even recently to know when to pull back a little bit, right? You felt like maybe you were overdoing it. I love hearing about those things. Could you take us back to that incident? Not necessarily the incident, but I mean, so many of us listening to this show, you know, are sitting here with our own challenges. And I mean, I know for, I'll speak for myself. Sometimes I, I see people like you with no legs that are just out there inspiring so many of us and doing things that, you know, we complain about our problems. And then, you know, it's like, well, it's like the saying I heard one time, someone complained about not having any shoes until they saw the the child with no feet, you know, and it's like complain about things that it's just, we need to hear other people's stories to put them in perspective, but you've done so much. I mean, first of all, just take us back to what was that like? Like the whole mindset, the whole self-talk to get through that and come out the other side of something so tragic. Yeah. Okay. No, it's, it was my fourth combat deployment. I did. I was in Afghanistan right after 9-11. So I was already with the 101st Airborne at Fort Campbell. And so it was my third to Iraq or my total of fourth deployments. We were coming back come back from a mission, April 8, 2008, a place called Sadr City. It was a real bad place. Mukta al-Sadr was the uh, head bad guy there. He was funneling like bombs and munitions from Iran. And our job was to limit the access that he and him and his militia had to Sadr City. At that time, I was on what we call a MIT team, which is the military transition team. We are the military trainers to the Iraqi army. And so we were trying to teach them and guide them to one day take over their country. And so I got hit. We were up all night fighting and then coming back from the mission. I was a gunner on the one of the Humvees. We got hit by a roadside bomb. It's called an EFP, explosively formed penetrator. Just think of like a cylinder, like a copper can, but bigger, you know, and it's filled with explosives and it's capped with a concave copper plate. What happens is, is they will command detonate it, they'll fire it. And then when it, when it explodes, that copper plate is super malleable, will change its shape into a penetrating slug of molten copper, basically. And it penetrated our armor of the Humvee. And then at being the gunner, I was higher up and went through both of my legs. I remember being on the 
the ground of the Humvee, the floor of it coming to. And then I, I tried to sit up and try to render aid to those that are injured in the vehicle, not knowing myself I was injured. And once I sat up, I realized that both of my legs were missing. And because with the gear, the vest and all of our ammunition on this, I was very top heavy. So I couldn't sit up. So my legs came up. I realized that I was in a lot of trouble. I was at risk of dying there, bleeding out. So I started tourniqueting both my legs. Uh, tourniquets are those little straps that you have on with the handle and you strap it around your leg and you can tighten them. So I started tourniqueting my own legs and then I realized that I was losing consciousness. I need to get help. So the back left door was blown out so that I was trying to crawl my way out that door. And as I got to, I went to throw myself out of the truck so people can get to me. And then somebody was there and they caught me as I was throwing myself out of the truck. Wow. And then from there, yeah, they rendered aid to me, helped me out. The medic was able to take care of me. I was awake the whole time, all the way up to the operating table when they finally put me out. Wow. And then what was that like coming back from that? I mean, I know, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. So I don't even claim to know the different PTSD and things that those of you that have served and been in battle, you know, have gone through and still struggle with. But what was that transition like coming back and getting back to, I mean, now, I mean, for our listeners, maybe you can even jump to this first, tell them what you've done with your prosthetic legs. If I'm saying that correctly, I mean, tell yeah. them what you've done in the last few years. Okay, well, one of the main things that I knew I wanted to do was get back to being somewhat physically capable again. Being a soldier, I was very type A. I loved doing, you know, obstacle courses and be able to, you know, run long distances. But I knew that I was losing both of my legs due to the blast, that I was limited in so many ways, but not really, actually. <laughs> so I realized that one of the biggest things that was stopping me is fear and thinking that I couldn't do something. And when I started thinking that, I realized that I'm one of my biggest enemies. Why would I, why would I ever think that I couldn't do something? At least try. Trying, there's so much fun in trying. And so the first event I ever did was the Marine Corps Marathon. I hand cycled 26.2 miles in the Marine Corps Marathon. And I realized that if I could do a marathon with just my arms, there's not much I couldn't do. And then from there, I found out about extreme obstacle courses. Like one of them was called the Green Bray Challenge. You know, it's like eight, nine, 10 miles long, 50 plus obstacles, climbing ropes, jumping through water, things like that. And I actually did that with an organization called, uh, um, well, it was Operation Enduring Warrior. Sorry. <laughs> so many operations in my head. I've worked with a lot of people. Right. Operation Enduring Warrior. And they're a really great organization that basically they didn't do the work for me. They supported me through it. So if I needed to find a foothold on a rope, they would say, hey, you're on the rope, you know, stuff like that. So they weren't because I couldn't feel the rope as I would climb up it, you know, the like rope nets. Or if I walked across a log, they'd make sure I didn't fall off you know, 20 feet into the ground. But I did work. And so I knew that I could not only be inspiring myself, but I could be inspiring others while I do it. And every event that I've, I've done, and I've done a wall full of medals over behind me in the video, for those who can't see it, it's because every time I do it, I meet people that say, hey, you know, I've gone through this situation, I've experienced this loss or pain, but seeing you here doing it, it makes me, okay, some people say they make them feel bad. And I tell them, no, don't feel bad. You know, we all suffer. We all go through things in our lives. And it's painful for all of us and just different, you know, what it could be. But I, I found out with a little confidence and a little support and a little bit of love, you can solve most problems. 
And I love that just that you're no fear. I mean, maybe you had fear, but you're facing your fear. You're facing your fear. You're not afraid to fail. That's what I'm hearing you say. Not afraid to fail, making challenges fun and stepping outside your comfort zone, which I mean, I can only imagine all the different times you've expanded your comfort zone. What though, before that, before the marathon, before all these things that started to build back your confidence, started to realize you know, you could be, I know we were talking earlier before this interview about what an adaptive athlete is. You know, you're not a disabled athlete. You've adapted. I love that you've yeah. adapted to a new way of doing things, right? Yeah, it's it's the whole mind frame to it. If you consider yourself weak or disabled, you know, that's how you act. That's how you feel. But I, that's why I always love the word adaptive, adaptive athlete. It means that you have the same challenge but you found a different way to battle it, to beat it. And I always loved that. Being a soldier, you know, you always have to complete the mission. You can't stop because not just not just your life that may be dependent on, but it's others. And yeah, that's more extreme than what I'm going through now. But I think, and I've seen as I go through these events and I go through this process of talking to people and, you know, having conversations, that just being there and letting them know, and even if I'm a physical reference or an example, letting them know that, yeah, we all go through bad stuff, but I'll tell you what, life is way better and it's so much more fun fighting. It is just keep fighting. Even when you're afraid, even when you have fear, even when you don't think it's possible, or if you have people telling you, you know, if you have negative people telling me that they don't think I can do it, that's just their way of saying is they can't do it. And they're trying to keep you from doing it. So I'm not like them. I, when someone says I can't do something, I like to say, okay, let me prove you wrong. But a challenge is fun. Challenge is what, you know, just makes life exciting. Exactly. And I don't, I don't want to bog down too much in this next question, but could you just describe, because I really want to get to, you know, you overcoming this challenge, which you obviously have and are in the process of still overcoming it, right? I think we'll all be overcoming different challenges till we take our last breath. That being said, I know we're just never immune from the repercussions or the after effects of different challenges we've been through. But describe for just a, a moment, what was it like between coming out of that injury and actually doing, say, your first event or starting your first venture or something positive where you chose to fight? I guess maybe the better question is, was there a period in there you weren't fighting where you were really discouraged and just kind of talk us through what was that like? I still battle that. You know, they say once some of those positive and happy people are usually the most depressed, right? <laughs> when I first got injured, I mentally was destroyed. My goal was to be the next sergeant major of the army, which is the highest senior listed person in the army. My goal when I joined was to be career soldier to to serve. I want to serve my country. My grandfather was a World War II veteran. He was a CB in Guadalcanal. And I would hear some of the stories that he, you know, you know, talking about serving. And also his generation kind of inspired me to want to continue serving him and Kennedy, of course. It's not what your country can do for you, you know, that thing. And so I definitely wanted to do it for the rest of my life. But yeah, when I got injured, that choice was ripped from me. It wasn't that I chose to bow out. It wasn't that I wanted to get out of the military. I was forced out because they tried to kill me. And that really destroyed me because I was a type A personality. I wanted to serve. I loved wearing the uniform. I was honored to wear it, but I wanted to continue wearing it. And it got to a point where I couldn't. For, a, I would say, a few years, a couple of years, I tried college. I tried to, to go to college for a bit, working towards an associate here at a small two-year University of Ball State here in Gallatin, Tennessee. I was going there. I was getting 4.0s. 
I loved it and I couldn't do it anymore. I had to walk away from school and that drove me crazy. I was like, what was my purpose? What am I supposed to be doing? I started to like spiral badly when I was going through recovery because I went through recovery for about a year and a half. I was in a wheelchair for a majority of that time. And I remember being, you know, just, I couldn't even reach a cereal bowl, you know, just to get my own food in the morning. And I remember being depressed and I look in the mirror and I just hated who I saw. It's because that's not who I was, but yet there I was, you know, I couldn't cope with the idea of being that disabled, no legs. I couldn't even stand if I wanted to, you know, of course I have an amazing wife. Her name is Jaren. She is a uh, Kentucky girl. She doesn't take crap from anyone, including me. And she's a farm girl, you know, raises horses and, you know, things like that. So like I was kind of going through a depressive cycle and, and my wife was grounded me the whole time. She was like, you got this, you can do it, you can finish, you know, don't give up. And so I had a great support group, but I still was lost. I still didn't know what to do. Actually, the funny story, the day before I was taking my first steps on my prosthetics, the very first time standing vertically. Which was how long ago, by the way? What year would that have been? It was, yeah, oh my goodness. It was sometime in 09, 2009. Okay. So it was about a year, you know, because I had to go through recovery and heal and then desensitize the legs before you put the prosthetics because they're carbon fiber and they hurt really, really bad if you're not used to it. And so, yeah, so my oldest daughter, she uh, she actually took her first steps in the waiting room at the Center for the Intrepid while it was uh, the day before I, I, went, I was walked. So it's a big family joke that our oldest was walked before I did. I love that. So, uh, you know, when I medically retired, I, I got out. I had nothing. I had a military retirement. I had a home, but I didn't know what to do with my life. I was massively depressed. I had no purpose. And, and the one worst feeling you could go through is not have a purpose. So I actually found a purpose on accident. <laughs> My kids do the uh, Nashville like, one mile marathon, you know, the run that they do before the kids rock marathon, they call it. And so music city marathon, but it's a kids rock marathon. So we went to the convention center there in Nashville and I was looking at all the booths that they had there. And there's one booth it was Memories of Honor that the lady who runs it, the director, wonderful lady named Amy Cotta. She, I, being a veteran, injured, you know, recently retired, I'm very superstitious of veteran groups. You know, I think that they're taken advantage of. Long story short, I found out she's really legit, that they're honoring our fallen. And so I just volunteered. I said, I'll do whatever you want me to do. And I worked my way from the bottom all the way to the director of veteran outreach. And that was where I found my first purpose is to take care of our fallen service members' families. I love that. I think you're hitting on a really important point there, Joe, is that all of us, regardless of our challenges or whatnot, we are created to have a purpose bigger than just surviving. And you said you found that in giving back through that particular organization there was the first thing. And I also noticed that when you were talking about you doing your first marathon on a hand bike and various things here a few minutes ago, you mentioned inspiring others. Like you were doing it for yourself, but you were also doing it to inspire others. And I know you've inspired a whole lot of other people over the last 12 or so years. And there's something really special about knowing that what we're doing is bigger than ourselves. In fact, there's been many, many studies that just show that that is a key. One of the keys to happiness is to be doing something that's outside of ourself and bigger than ourself. And I love the example in doing so. How do you view your challenge? And I know this isn't your only challenge. I mean, I'd be foolish to think that losing your legs is the only challenge you've ever been through. I mean, you've said very clearly you've struggled with, you know, depression and we all have various different oftentimes challenges. 
but this particular challenge and really all of them, how do you view it now? Like looking back 12 years later, how do you view that? The fact that you went through that, that you had to go through that. Okay. I do know that I wouldn't change it for anything. And I know many people, if they were in my situation, like I couldn't imagine, you know, living my life, you know, the way I do, but I found that I'm a better person for it. I had very little sympathy or compassion when I was in the military. I won't lie. I would take care of my friends and my colleagues, but I, I wasn't very nice to say. But once I, I was basically got to a point where I was humbled and I realized that I needed more. And that's really, you know, when I first started going to church and then I, I started going to church in Texas. And the, I think it was, I had one leg and crutches. And they asked me if I would do a, a homeless ministry where we'd feed the homeless in San Antonio. And I was scared. I, I'm new Christian then. I didn't know anything about the Bible. And I don't know how to answer all these hard questions. You know, the, well, what if they say, you know, why God make me homeless? You know, I don't, you know, I don't know. I don't know the answer now. And I've been in church for a while. But I did know that the situation, the position I was and the way I looked opened many doors for me to not talking about opportunities where I gained. But it's where I was able to bless other people. And one of the biggest things I've learned is that to shut up and listen, honestly, they don't want me to preach to them. They don't want me to explain to them why they're homeless. They just want to have a sandwich with me and just shoot the crap. And I realized that was the first lesson I've learned is that I would never have done that if I was still in the military. Wouldn't have. I wouldn't have opened up and I wouldn't have been there to do life with, with people who are suffering. And everywhere I go, I have people walk up to me and say, hey, you're an inspiration. Thank you, blah, blah, blah. And then they go into their story. My grandfather, my mother, and they, you know, they start talking about this. Hey, could you call him and tell him to wear his leg because of diabetes? And, and I'm like, I could do whatever you want, man. You know, so I, I opened up conversations and God allowed me. To, he brought me down and humbled me for a purpose, a purpose that I know I needed because I've changed more lives than I ever would have been in the military. And I wouldn't have changed anything, even though I would love to be able to, you know, flex my toes in the sand again. I would rather trade that for the rest of my life to be able to make change in this world. I love that. I love that. And that's so encouraging. And so true. I mean, I can relate with on different challenges. I know People come out of the woodwork when they see our challenge and your challenge is visible, right? I mean, not all of our challenges are visible. Probably most of our challenges are hidden, but when we share our challenges or they can visibly see your challenge or you share about the struggle with depression or whatever the things are, it's amazing how people are more free to open up and the opportunities that provides. It's just, it's been a huge, exciting blessing in my life too. So I can definitely relate with that on to some degree. And I love that you shared that and that you view your challenge that way as a platform, really, to get to encourage and inspire and help other people. What would you say is one piece of advice, Joe, that you would share with others who are either in the midst of their challenge right now or preparation for the one ahead? One of the things that I've learned and being in the military, especially, there's there's a certain group of people that we look up to. It's actually two types of people. One are like the special operations forces guys, like the Navy SEALs, Delta Force, those guys, right? But also those who have died, but also the Medal of Honor recipients. And one thing I've learned by looking at those groups of people in the military, my heroes, you know, who I look up to, everything they did is about sacrificing and taking care of their fellow brother and sister. That's exactly what they did. All the Medal of Honor recipients, not one of the citations say that it was a selfish act. It's always never selfish. So what I like to tell people, basically going off of their examples in, in the military, 
the greatest act and the greatest thing you could ever do is to stop and reach your hand out and pick up somebody that's fallen down. I'm not talking about physically either. I'm talking about emotionally, mentally, spiritually, financially. Greatest act you could ever do is pick them up and just tell them that they're loved, that you know someone does care about them. And you may not have all the answers, but I'll tell you what, listening is one of the greatest gifts you can give. And it's free, but showing love and patience and kindness pays dividends for the rest of their life and yours too. I love that. And I think, you know, listening is so underrated. It is so underrated. We think, like you said earlier, we have to have all the answers. Just showing people that we care, asking some genuine questions and then listening. It's powerful. And I'm so glad you shared that. Love that. Do you have like a favorite success quote that stands out to you by any chance? Well, okay. So I don't know if this is very common, but I like the one where it says, if you're the smartest person in the room, you're in the wrong room. I do like that one. I like that because iron sharpens iron. I prefer to be around people that are older, wiser, further along, because I've gained so much knowledge and wisdom doing that. So I prefer one day be the old, wise, successful guy. Either that or you're a professor. You're the one that, that's the only reason why you'd be the smartest guy in the room. Exactly. That's true. That is a good one. Always be around people that are ahead of you in life. That's something I definitely strive to do in the various areas of my life. I love being around people that you maybe are further along in their parenting or their marriage or their health or their business or their finances in all areas, all the areas I value. Spiritually. Spiritually. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So exciting. Great advice. So just some quick questions for you as we begin to start wrapping this up. Is there one habit that you feel has helped you succeed, not only in overcoming your challenges, but just success in general and life and health and mental health and business and whatever? Yeah. One of the biggest things I did, proper planning. Okay. It's the best way. You ever heard of like the five P's or the six P's, like proper planning prevents poor performance. I learned that in the military, but I learned it was another P in there, but I'm not going to say that last one. Uh, (laughs) I've actually initiated things I call triage. Triage is like medically, you know, the worst gets seen first, right? So what I do that is with my life. I triage my life. And one of the ways I do that is I put in order who's most important. And so for me and my family, it's God first. The God church stuff, then my spouse, then my children, and then work slash business type things. And then after that, like volunteering and other areas. And I found out that when I prioritize my day in my life, And if something below affects something above, I nix it. And then takes away the emotions of it. Because if I have a cousin that wants to go skiing or something, but I have a kid's birthday or something, I know that something's trapped. Or if I want to volunteer for something and I have church that day, church goes first. I'm not going to go be there. I'll be there after. So one of the greatest things is planning. But when I plan, I plan with a set way to be able to be fair to everyone, but mainly fair to my life and to my family. No, that's great advice, Joe. I love that. What would you say is one of the best pieces of advice that you have received in your lifetime? Oh, well, besides the room, I found out that don't be afraid to tell somebody you don't know something. Have humility, even in business. 
I've been on TV shows with my businesses. I've talked to you know people all the way down uh, from lower to the higher levels. I found out that everyone has some really great information. And I've been on TV shows where I talk to the cameraman, like, hey, what am I doing? Should I be doing this? You know, I don't need to talk to the director for everything. I found out that, hey, I want to be successful in this area. I just don't know it well. Do you have a background or do you know someone that I could talk to where I could, you know, either pay for the services or get some advice? And I find nine times, like 10 out of 10, I've always found out that successful business people, as long as they you realize they're not trying to take advantage of them, they're like, oh yeah, I can hook you up, but you know, read this book or do this or go talk to this person. And then you just expand your network. You don't take advantage. You just go where the flow goes and you learn that process. And next, you know, you have a great network of people that you can reach out to when you need something. That is great advice, man. You're dropping some golden nuggets here. I mean, asking questions, not being afraid to ask questions, having the humility to ask questions. I mean, I've learned more, I think, from asking questions of people that know more than I know. I love to learn. I'm committed to being a lifelong learner and asking questions of people with knowledge. Man, there's no greater way. Yeah. I love that. No, I'm the same way. The same way is like, what books are you reading? What podcasts you listen to? Who do you know that does that? Yeah. And people love to talk about it. Yes. And that's another great point is that people that have knowledge and wisdom and say entrepreneurial success, like you said, for the most part, they are more than happy to share it. it. Again, if they feel like the motives are right. I mean, if we're just coming humbly and genuinely wanting to learn, asking questions, I find most people are happy to get to share and pass along information, especially older people than myself. And anyway, it's a lot of fun. Life can be a lot of fun when we really start engaging with asking questions and learning. I love that. What is uh, one book that you'd recommend to the Life's Hard Succeed Anyway audience, Joe? Okay, well, I do have a bookshelf, and I was looking at it earlier today, kind of preparing for this. I think one of the better ones, besides the Bible, which covers everything, but besides that, that easy answer. One of my favorite books was Good to Great by Jim Collins. I loved it. I love the information that you get from it, kind of the explanations of certain things, and the things I didn't even think about. But to be fair, a lot of these books were given to me by way more successful men, and I had lunch dates with them, and they said, literally they would start like read these five books and we'll talk and i go okay i'll go get them i love people that will literally throw a book at your face and say check this out and you'll kind of understand more what you want yeah so man i gotta dive into that real quick here i thought we were wrapping it up but i gotta ask this question now so you had people that maybe you had asked for a meeting with what's the scenario and they said yes if you read these books first how did that go down no basically it's like i don't necessarily name drop, but they're a famous political family here in Tennessee. And they're very, very wealthy. And if you know this area, you know who I'm talking about. I know the husband very well. He's a veteran. I know him through certain connections. And I said, hey, I, I'm getting ready to grow my business, the, the wearable gratitude company. I said, I would really kind of like to, you know, buy you lunch and just kind of, if you have a moment, just kind of talk. This is what I'm thinking about doing. This is kind of like where I'm going. And honestly, just like shoot me down or say, that's crazy or that's good. And then I sat literally, we just sat, he said, yeah, I got time. He's retired. And so we sat down, we just talked and he's like, it, like he literally had memorized these like five books and I'm in my phone, like writing them all down. And those are two of those, those five books that he, he told me. And he said, he literally said, yeah, read those books and you'll understand more about what you want to ask next. Because I didn't know enough to ask the right thing questions. And I found out that, yeah, I may not be egotistic to not ask questions, 
but I may not be educated enough to be able to write, to ask the right questions for growth. And all the other great advice I learned was always act three times the size you are now company-wise. That way, when you are three times the size, you already have systems in place and plans and people already thought about to fill those roles. And so that was another great advice I had. Wow. I love it. Yeah, that makes sense. And I love that. It's a great point. I mean, you have to have some level of knowledge to know the right questions to ask. So he was giving you the books as suggestions to take your questions to the next level for the next meeting. Okay. Because you can only grow as far as you are. Once you reach your limit, that's as far as your company will grow. Right. Yep. Great point. Hey, Joe, what are you currently excited about now? Something maybe you're doing or working on or just anything else that may just excite you about the future in general? Actually, one of my hobbies turned into a business. I actually made my own coloring book. <laughs> it's called Adventures in Landia. It's literally, it's a book that you can read and color. It's like a choose your own adventure style. So I'm actually pushing that book out now. It's my first time ever being published. So I'm working on that. And then I'm also working on my own book about kind of my adventures and my experiences and some things that we talked about, about the triage and things. And so I'm kind of working on that idea. I am not an author, but I want to be. So I'm asking a lot of smart people, a lot of smart questions now about how to be an author. I love it. Well, we're in the same boat working on a book myself. And so we're in the same stage of life in that regard anyway. So that coloring book is Adventures in Islandia. And how can people get a hold of that or see that if they want to? It's on Amazon and Barnes and Noble right now. Right on. And it's a great segue to your contact information. How would people follow along on your journey or connect with you if they wanted to? Besides personally stalking me, uh, they could go to uh, my email is sfcjosephjames at gmail.com. And my handles for Instagram and Facebook are sfcjosephjames. SFC as in Sergeant First Class. Sergeant First Class, Joseph James. Got it. And that's uh, Instagram and Facebook, you said? Yeah. I think I have a Twitter, but I haven't used it in a long time. I don't know. Got it. Well, that's simple. SFC Joseph James on both Facebook, Instagram, and email at Gmail. Yeah, and email. Okay. All right. Any closing comment? that you want to share with our listeners before we wrap this up? I just highly recommend just talk to people, get out there, network. Even if they don't have anything to offer you, you'll find out that you're going to build some amazing relationships. Just like you and me, we went to church together and then we just had a random conversation because our kids really ran together. You never know who you're going to meet, right? That's absolutely right. That's right. Your child and my child were on the same cross country team and we saw you out there giving it to them, helping out, you know, being a, I guess a volunteer. Yeah, I was, I was coaching. Yep. Yep. Yeah, I was a volunteer coach. Yep. That impressed me even back then. I don't know how many years ago that was, a couple of years ago when we first met, maybe a lot more now. I'm not sure. Thank you for your service. Your past nine years, I think you said a military service. I also want to thank you for your service for the past 12 and continuing forward in the other areas that you're serving, obviously, many people. And again, by coming on the show and sharing your story, thank you so much. Thank you, Alan. I appreciate this time and and opportunity. If you love this podcast, grab some of Alan's free resources on his website at alanblain.com, spelled A-L-L-A-N-B-L-A-I-N.com. You can also find links to Alan's Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok there in his contacts page. Lastly, if you can leave a five-star review for us on your favorite podcast app, that will get these messages out to more people and it will really mean the world to us. Thanks in advance and make it a great day.